Shalom to all. Today's daf is Shabbos daf Yud. We're starting seven lines from the top. We're in the middle of discussing proper ways of davening to Hashem. Rava Baravhuna Rami Puzmaki Umatsli. He would put on important footwear to daven. Omar, he gave his reasoning as Hachun Lukras Al You have to prepare to greet Hashem. So wearing nice footwear is a proper way of greeting Hashem. Rava, he was Shadi Glime Upachayadi. He would throw his coat off and clasp his hands Umatsli. And then he would daven. Omar, his explanation for that was Ka'avda Kamemari, like a ma- like a servant in front of his master with trepidation. So he would clasp his hands and he would throw his coat off so as not to show that he's chashim and important, he's really just a lowly servant. I saw Rav Kahana when there was a lot of pain and suffering in the world he would throw his coat away and and clasp his hands, Umatsli and Davin. Omar, his reason was, because a servant in front of his master, so he should be humbled and not show himself as someone important. But Kikishlama, when there was peace in the world, he would get dressed and cover himself with his coat, and wrap himself in his talus, Umatsli, and he would Davin. Omar, his explanation for this was, he prepared to greet your God, so when everything is peaceful in the world and everything is good, so you show as if you're a servant in front of the master, dressed in your full regalia. Rav Hamnuna was prolonging his davening. Amar, he said, Why are you leaving the something that's going to bring you the life in the next world, which is learning Torah, and you're just being involved in the small momentary things, which is davening. You daven for health or parnasa or food or whatnot. Why are you doing that? Meaning, obviously you're supposed to daven, but you're not supposed to prolong your davening. Your main focus should be learning Torah. And we say, Rav Hamnuna held, As if there's a time for davening, there's a time for learning. And as long as you're davening in the proper time, it's okay, and it's not considered infringing upon your learning Torah times. Rav Yermia, he was in front of Zerav, Hava Aski Bishmaitzin, they were in the middle of learning. Nagat Litzluye, it became late to Davin. Hava Kamasar, Rav Yermia, Rav Yermia was hurrying to get up so that he could Davin. Karilir Abzerab, Zerav said about him, Maestro Azim Yishimua Taira, someone who turns his ears from listening to Taira, Gam Tfilasa Teeva. His Tfila is also considered an abomination, meaning. You, Rav Yermia, should not be turning away to Davin, you should be learning Taira right now. Says the Gemara, we had previously mentioned that a person, once they start a din taira, so then they don't have to stop, even if it's right around mincha time. So when is it considered that they started this judgment of this case? From when they wrap themselves in their cloaks and prepare themselves for judging. From when the litigants start saying their claims. One is where they're already wrapped in their cloaks because they already were previously engaged in judging some sort of other case. So then it's considered starting a new case when the litigants start mentioning their claims. If they haven't started doing any sort of judgments yet and only now they're starting a judgment, so then the time is when they start wrapping themselves with their cloaks. They were sitting amongst the pillars of the base Medrash and learning. Every single hour, they would get up and knock on the door frame. They would announce to everyone, if someone has some sort of case that needs to be judged, come to us and we'll judge it. We see how important judging cases is. Even They would even interrupt their learning to offer their services of judgment to anyone else. All day they would sit and judge 
judge cases. They got very either weak because they didn't eat food, or they got very discouraged that they weren't sitting and learning and they were actually just judging all day. Rav told them, The Pasuk says that the people stood next to Moshe Rabbeinu from morning till evening. Do you think that Moshe Rabbeinu actually sat and judged the people all day? When exactly was he supposed to learn? is teaching you, any dayan that judges a truthful judgment, even if it's just for a short time, it's as if he became a partner with Hashem in creating the world. How do we know this? It says here, the people stood next to Moshe from morning till evening. Hashem created evening and then morning. It was one day. So we see, morning and evening. So it's like you've paired up with Hashem and creating the world. So they were either telling him, why you, you don't have to judge all day and not eat anything. You could take breaks in the middle of judging and you can actually fill yourselves with some food to give yourselves kayach. Even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't judge all day. Or he was telling them, don't lose, uh, don't be sad or disappointed that you're not learning because it's so important to be judging people. It's as if you're joining up with Hashem in my sabrashas. Ask the Gemara, on until when does a Dayan sit and judge in the morning? Amrav Sheshes, Adzman Suda, until the time to eat the morning meal. Amrav Chama Micro, we have a Pasuk to support this. Ksiv, it says, El Eretz, want you as a is a land that your kings are lads and the ministers eat in the morning praiseworthy you is a land that your kings are free people and your ministers eat in the proper time with strength and not with drinking and drunkenness what's this referring to is that you're, they eat with the of with the strength of Tyra meaning they're learning in the morning and they're not eating and they're not drinking wine, so we see that you're supposed to you're supposed to learn Tyra and judge judgments in the morning before you eat. And regarding this, when the proper time to eat in the morning is Tanra Banan, Shari Shaina, the first hour of the day, Maikaludim, is when the Ludim used to eat. Ludim were cannibals, and they were such gluttonous people, they would eat the first hour of the day possible. Shnia, the second hour of the day, Maikalistim, is when thieves and robbers eat. That's because they're awake all night carrying out their thievery, and they sleep in the first hour of the morning. So they wake up in the second hour of the morning, and they're also very gluttonous, so that's when they eat. Shlishas, the third hour is Michael Yarshim, is when people who've inherited a lot of money, and they don't have to work for their livelihood. So they wake up in the third hour of the day, and they eat a lot. Revias, the fourth hour, Michael Pailim, is when workers eat. Chamishas, the fifth hour of the day, is Michael Kol Adam, is when regular people eat. Ask the Gemara, Aini, is that so? Vamra Papa, Papa says, Revias, Mansudul Chol Adam, is that the fourth hour of the day, is when all people eat. Elo, we say, Revias, Michael, Kol, Adam, is that, you're right, the fourth hour is when regular people eat. Chamishas, the fifth hour is Michael, Pailim, is when the workers eat. Shishas, and the sixth hour of the day, Michael, Talmud, Chacham, is when a Talmud, Chacham, eat. From here on, on Kizarik, Evan, Lechemis, if you eat past the sixth hour, it's just like throwing a stone into an empty bag, which means that your food does nothing for you. It doesn't help you, it also doesn't harm you. Amrabai, Bai says, That's only if you didn't taste anything in the morning. You didn't have a coffee and a pastry. 
But if you did taste something in the morning, less lanba, then if the first time that you sit down for a proper meal is even past the sixth hour, then that's good and it's going to be beneficial for you because you at least did taste something in the morning. A person is allowed to daven in a bathhouse. This person goes into the bathhouse. So, if he's in the room, it's in the ante room, the first room, and this is the place where people stand fully clothed, then a person is allowed to say psukim and daven. He's even allowed to greet his fellow neighbor with Hashem's name, Shalom. He's allowed to put on his tefillin in this room. For sure, he doesn't have to remove his tefillin if he walked in wearing them. If it's the middle room where sometimes some people are clothed and some are unclothed because they're getting ready to go into the bathhouse, then you're allowed to greet your friend. However, you're not a sedi psukim and you're not allowed to daven. You don't have to take off your tefillin if you're wearing them, but you're not allowed to put them on if you weren't wearing them. But if it's the inner room where the actual bath is, so everyone's unclothed in this room, no greeting your friend, for sure no saying psukim or davening, and you have to take off your tefillin if you're wearing them, and for sure you're not allowed to put your tefillin on. So we see that in a bathhouse you're not allowed to daven. So why are you saying you're allowed to daven in a bathhouse? So the Gemara says, We're talking about a bathhouse that doesn't have any people in it. So if there's no one unclothed, so then you're allowed to daven in the bathhouse. Ask the Gemara of Amr of Yesi Chanina, Merchat Sha'amru, the bathhouse that we describe that you're not allowed to daven in, Afal Bisha'ain by Adam. That's even if there's no one in it, you're not allowed to daven in. And Besakise Sha'amru, also all halachas that we had mentioned in, in Mesachas Brachas regarding a Besakise, a bathroom. A lavatory, that means even if there is no excrement there, you still are not allowed to daven or wear tefillin within Dalad al-Masavit. So the Gemara says, you're right, Alaki Kamarvada is talking about Bechadati. He was talking about a brand new bathhouse that was never used before, so then you're allowed to daven in the inner chamber. Ask the Gemara, Ravina asks this as a question that doesn't have an answer. His Minul Bezakisei, let's say they built a brand new lavatory and they said, okay, this is going to be the bathroom, but no one ever used it. What, what's the status of it? From the fact that they had set it aside to be a lavatory, does it have a din, the status of a lavatory, and now you're not allowed to do Dvarm Shabbat in it or not? And and we don't have an answer for it. So, would the same query that wasn't answered not apply also to a bathhouse? Meaning, even though we built a brand new bathhouse and no one ever used it, perhaps... We don't know if you're allowed to daven in it or not. So how are we saying for sure that you are allowed to? So the Gemara says, like that's not they're not necessarily comparable. Dilma, perhaps you know based on the top shani beisakise demais. The reason why we have this query regarding a beisakise is because simply mentioning the word lavatory it already conjures up these kind of um, uncomfortable and and. The yeah, ma'us, disgusting types of images in a people's mind, that it's a dirty place even though it was never used, that's why we're not so sure if simply establishing it as a Beis is a problem or not. However, we are in Beis HaMerchatz. There's nothing wrong with a Merchatz, a bathhouse. Therefore, we would say that a person is allowed to daven in a bathhouse that was never used. Continues the Gemara. We had said that you're not allowed to greet your friend in the inner chamber. This is a proof to Rav Hamnuna. A person's not allowed to say shalom to his friend in the bathhouse. The Gidaim said about Hashem, he called him Hashem Shalom. So we see that Hashem's name is Shalom. So you're not allowed to say it in a bathhouse. The word Hemnusa, which literally means 
emuna or faith, and this is something people would say when they wanted to, let's say, seal on a deal, and they're referring to the fact that Hashem is faithful, so they're referring to Hashem, nami this should also be usher to say in a, in a, in a bathroom, we have a Pasuk that says, Hashem is the faithful God. So we see it's like Hashem's name. And that you're right, that you shouldn't be allowed to say the word, You're allowed to say the word, So we say, no. The name of Hashem isn't this. Meaning the way we translate the word, is which is the faithful God. So we're just describing Hashem as faithful. Over here, Hashem's name is Himself is called Shalom. It says, Hashem Shalom. He called him Hashem Shalom. So Hashem's name is Shalom, so you're not allowed to say it in a bathroom or in the inner chamber of a bathhouse. Continues the Gemara. If a person is going to give a gift to his friend, he has to notify him he's going to give him this gift. It says, Hashem told that he should tell the Bnei Yisrael that. I'm going to give them the mitzvah of Shabbos, and through that they're going to become holy. The Pasuk says, They should know, I'm Hashem that's making them holy. So we see that even Hashem, before He gave a gift to us, told us that He's going to give us a gift. Why is this? There's two reasons. First of all, if you're just going to place a gift into someone's hand without telling him previously you're going to give him a gift, he might be embarrassed and he might not want to take it. But if you tell him beforehand, I want to give you a gift, so then he's more likely to accept it. Or if you're going to leave it in his house, let's say, without telling him, and he's just going to have a surprise gift by his doorstep. So if you tell him, hey, by the way, I was the one that gave you that gift, so that builds Ava Va'achva and Reos, and that builds love and brotherhood between people. So it's an important thing to do that and tell him that you gave him that gift. I have a wonderful gift in my storage house. It's Shabbos Shemayin. His name is Shabbos. And I want to give it to the Jews. Go tell them that I want to give it to them. Rabbi Gamliel learns from this. If you're going to give bread to a child, you have to notify his mother that you gave her child a gift of bread. How are you supposed to notify the mother? Right? You can't pick up the phone and call her. Back in the day, they didn't have phones. You should either take some oil and smear it in between his eyes or color some makeup around his eye. So when he comes home and his mother says, who did that to you? He'll say, oh, so-and-so did it and they also gave me some bread. So now the mother will feel very wonderful feelings towards that family that fed her child. But nowadays we have to be afraid of sorcery and if a kid comes home with makeup on his eye, then they're going to be afraid that perhaps they did some sort of magic spell to this child. My, so what are we supposed to do? Whatever type of food you gave him, so that's what you should smear on his face. And then the mother will understand that you gave him that type of food and not that you're doing some sorcery. So if you gave him a banana, you just smush some banana on his face and then when he comes home, his mother will understand that he ate a banana and not that he has some sort of magic spell on him. Ask the Gemara, is that so? If you give a gift to your friend, you don't have to tell him. That his face was shining when people were speaking to him and so Hashem never told him, Moshe, I'm going to make your face shining. So the Gemara says, that's not a problem. When you give a gift to someone and he's going to know you gave it to him, so then 
You don't have to tell him. Moshe Rabbeinu eventually was going to find out when people told him, Hey Moshe, your face is shining, but something that people won't find out, then you have to tell them. Ask the Gemara of Hashabbos, the Shabbos is something that we're going to find out. Why? Because Hashem gave us the Torah, and in the Torah it says, you got to keep Shabbos. So why did Hashem deem it necessary to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, tell the Yidin that I'm giving them Shabbos? So the answer is, Matan is that we don't know what the Schar of Shabbos is, and that's what Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, is that if you keep Shabbos, it's a Nachla Blim we have a, we get an inheritance without any boundaries. Rav Chizda was holding in his hand two gifts of an ox, meaning he was living in Chutz La'aretz, and anytime they would shecht a cow or some sort of animal in Chutz La'aretz, Many people were careful to give Matnas Kahuna, which is the Zerayla Chayim and Keva, different parts of the cow, to a Kayin, even though this is not the time of the Beis HaMikdash, and this is not an Eretz Yisrael, so it's not necessarily a Chiyuv, people would still give it to the Kayin. And Rechiz was a Kayin, so he had two different sets of these gifts from an animal, quite a pricey thing to have. Amar, he said, Anyone that comes and tells me a new Chiddush in the name of Rav that I've never heard before, I'm going to give him these two large sections of the cow, which is quite a wonderful gift. Now, even though he was a Kohen and he received this by way of Matnas Kahuna, a non Kohen is still allowed to eat them. Rav Bar Machasya told him, Rav says the following, that if you, a person gives a gift to his friend, he has to tell him, you should know that I am, they should know that I am Hashem that makes them holy. So, he gave it to him. Omar, he told him in response, the teachings of Rav are so precious to you that you're willing to give away such a pricey gift to your teaching? Amr yes, they're very precious to me. Amr he responded to him, you know what? This is another thing that Rav says. Milasa al yakira that the one that wears a milasa, which is an expensive wool garment, it is very precious to him. Meaning, a person that's used to wearing expensive clothing, it's more precious to him than a person who's not. And you are a Talmud of Rav, so the teachings of Rav are more precious to you than perhaps to other people. Amrle responded, "Amar Rav Hachi, Rav said that." said, "The second thing you just told me is even more precious." Than the first thing you told me, the Yahava, and if I had and if I had more of these gifts, if I had more large sections of the cow, I would give them to you because of this wonderful teaching that you taught me. We should all view words of Torah as precious as this. Continues the Gemara. A person shouldn't treat one son differently than his others. Because of this, the weight of two sloyim, milas, of fine wool, shenosan Yaakov Yosef, the Yaakov Avinu gave to Yosef, which was the Ksenis Pasim, and it weighed approximately two sloyim worth of wool. Yosef Mishar Banov, he gave this to him more than his over his other kids, Niskanu Bayechav, his brothers were jealous of him, and the matter continued on, and because of that, we ended up going to Mitzrayim, because Yosef was sold due to this jealousy, and we all know the story after that, so a person should be careful not to single out one child more than the other. A person should always look for a city that is fairly recently inhabited. Since it was recently inhabited, it has only a very small amount of sins, and therefore it's not likely to be destroyed anytime soon. 
obviously a person should look for a city that's Talmud Chachamim. But if he can't find a city like that, or for whatever reason he's unable to live in a city of Talmud Chachamim, then he should seek out a city that's only fairly recently inhabited. Shinevar says in the Pasuk regarding light, light told the Malachim, when they told him to go run to the mountains, he said, no, I want to run to a different city. This city is very close to run to. Run to. The mitzar and it is small. So we say, my kriva, what does it mean that it's close by? Ilim kriva, the mikriva, that it's very close in proximity, vizuta, and it's actually small in size. Lakachazula, you think the malachim can't see that? Of course they could see it. What was he trying to tell them? Ella, he was trying to tell them, since this city that he was referring to was a fairly recently inhabited city, Avanisem Mutsarin, so therefore it has. Only a small amount of sins, and therefore that's why I should run there. And Amr Avavin, my crow, we have a Pasuk to support that this city that Light was talking about, which was Sion, actually was more recently inhabited than Sudaim was. The Chesiv says in the Pasuk, Imalta na shama, please let me run there. Na. Nun Aleph, the Gematria, Nun Vichad. It's Gematria 51, Hava. And that is how long Soyan was around for 51 years. Vishal Sudaim. And how long was Sudaim around? Nun Vibez. It was around for 52 years. And another interesting fact that you should know about Sudaim, besides for the fact that it was one year older than Soyan, is that Vishal Vasa, the peaceful years that Sudaim had, Yud Aleph, Amun Aleph on the top, Chavvav. It had 26 peaceful years without any fighting or rain from any other king. The Chesivit says, Shneimus Rishonah Avruz Kedar La'omer is they, Avduz Kedar La'omer, they had to serve Kedar La'omer, which was the, a different king that conquered Sudaim. They had to serve him for 12 years. Rishleishis Rishonah Muradu, and there was 13 years that they rebelled, Uba'arbas Rishonah, and in the 14th year. So, 14 plus 12 is 26. So there's 26 years that they were under the servitude of a different king, and so it's not peaceful years, and therefore the other 26 years were peaceful years. And so we see that from here, the site of this Gemara that we learned out is that a younger city, a city that was more recently established, has perhaps fewer sins, and that's where a person should live. Everyone should have a wonderful, fantastic day.